This week on The Word on Long Beach, we revisit the drive-by shooting near the Pike outlets that sparked panic and left three people wounded, including a 13-year-old boy. We'll speak to reporter Shante Jensen, who returned to the scene after the shooting to get the community's reaction, and we'll give you some updated crime statistics. But first, we turn our attention to South Florida, as the country continues to watch the details unfold regarding the condo collapse near Miami, questions regarding older buildings here in Long Beach have begun. We have an expert here with us who will try to answer some of those questions. That starts right now on The Word on Long Beach. Welcome back to The Word on Long Beach, brought to you by The Long Beach Post. I'm your host, Jackie Ray, and I'm very excited to have a chance to speak with my next guest. Joining me now is Long Beach Building Superintendent David Corum, and he is going to give us some insight on how we can avoid a deadly building collapse like the one we saw in South Florida. David, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jackie, for the opportunity. It's a pleasure to be a part of this podcast. Um, as you stated, I'm the superintendent of building and safety, and my job is to make sure the uh, buildings in Long Beach, they get built uh, properly per code, and I'm the protector of life and safety uh, for building infrastructure in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. I like that, uh, protector of life and safety. That's, a, that's an important task. How did you come to decide to want to take on such a big task as your career? Very interesting question. Uh, from childhood, that's all I wanted to do, build buildings or, or design buildings. So I went through education in New York, uh, got my master's and engineering degrees, then moved to California, became a licensed engineer, uh, took design, cons- worked with consulting companies and eventually got a government job. And in last, for the last 15, 16 years, I've been building official for uh, three agencies in California, and most recently with Long Beach for the last seven and a half years. Okay, so you've got a very diverse background. If, do you see a difference in how buildings are built in California versus other places in the world that you've experienced? Excellent question. Yes, we are at the cutting edge of the building construction industry. Building industry is the largest industry in the world, as you know, compared to any other industry. Same thing with California, same thing in Long Beach. There is more money made or construction projects happen and people take either money home to their kids. So as a result, this is the largest industry. And as a result, uh, we have a building and safety operation. I've given and take about 70 people that we watch the buildings in Long Beach to be built properly and correctly. I'm just privileged enough to be teaching building codes in a local community college. So I sort of leave buildings, to be honest with you, live and breathe buildings. Uh, A question that you ask, which is very close to my heart, is building codes in California. Every two years, we adapt brand new building codes, uh, state of California does. Then city of Long Beach or any local jurisdiction take what the state does and further amend it based on or topography, geology, and based on climate. State of Florida does the same thing. We are all now in United States, in US, based on international building codes. Then city of Long Beach takes and adapts it. We add our own stuff to it. Then Miami or Dade County, Florida does the same thing. In 1997, all the codes of country became one code. Uh, This helps 
architect engineers contractors to practice across the country the same way it used didn't used to be that, like that mm -hmm. specific to this building in miami that collapsed last thursday morning uh, it was built 40 years ago as you all heard and it was based on a different codes at the time but as a country as a building officials we all wised up and in 1979 all the codes of the country became what mm -hmm. the base base of the code so the building that collapsed was not is was not based on the codes at the time that was built or practiced in long beach but if you build something in dade county miami right now there are a lot of resemblances when it comes to building codes mm. now building codes are about 13 or 14 different volumes. We talk about building, residential, plumbing, mechanical, energy, green building code, historic building codes. So the codes that we speak and we build our buildings based on, in the state of California, they are referred to as Title 24. Okay. So all what you, a person needs to know is written in one title called Title 24, but Title 24 has got all these chapters to it. <laughs> So my job in Long Beach is to make sure that we bring these updated codes to the city to build per the new codes, because each time something happens, earthquake happens, tsunami happens, uh, any building failure, the code writers, they update the codes. Mm. So by cities staying on top of their codes, that means the product, the buildings that we deliver after or engineers check the plans and after our inspectors go in the field and watch the construction is done right, then when the certificate of occupancy is issued, that guarantees that the building at the time was built based on latest and greatest technical engineering, architectural, disabled access, all those codes and books that can put a normal person to sleep. Right. <laughs> when you say Title 24, um, and that's how what people can kind of have in their mind to understand that this was built with the latest and greatest understanding of how we what we know to keep buildings safe. I'm assuming someplace like Colorado, which is inland, wouldn't have a Title 24. Is that correct? They have their own Title 24. Okay. The way it works is the model called Riders, International Building Code, write the book. Then the state of California at the extra 10% becomes California code. Gotcha. The state of Colorado at the extra 10% or 8% of theirs and becomes Colorado code. Miami does that. They take the basis of the code every three years and then they augment it with their own topography, geological and climatical issue. Gotcha. For instance, in Arizona, they may have a more stringent energy code because it's just warmer than California. Mm -hmm. So there's a little room, but the base of the codes now across the country is the same. Got it. Okay. So that makes sense. So a seaside state like we are is going to have a slightly different code, but ba the basis of it is the same across the country. Yeah. Surfside is, uh, if they build something today there, mm -hmm. yes, it would be the same. But if somebody built something 40 years ago, at the time, the codes were not exactly the same as California. Mm. So when but, you first saw that collapse in uh, South Florida, 
What was your very first thought? We normally don't experience such a thing in U.S. and generally in the world. Sometimes because of some uh, emergency or some kind of a has environmental earthquakes or something, building failures come about. We see it in the news all the time. That the natural or normal collapse of a building such as this, uh, it's a little alarming because as I hear on the news, obviously there's going to be more studies done on the reason for the building failure, but something that is highlighted, resonates very right now is the building maintenance. This building had spalling concrete, had the uh, water leak damage from the pool. Uh, there was a water on the parking structure below the pool that was definitely recorded and documented. There was a rusted rebar pictures that various contractors took. So one of the mode of big mode of failure that it's very important for all of us to pay attention if you're the building owner or we are building maintenance people is uh, buildings also very much like cars, very much like our computers. They need to be maintained. You can run them for 40 years with no attention, to be not paying attention to. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the taller building is, the more public lives in it, it takes a higher importance from standpoint of property building management, building maintenance. That's uh, a, that leads me to my next question, because that was my first thought as well. Um, I saw probably the same thing you did, that some of these concerns were raised in 2018 with the, some of the structural damage. Once a survey like that is revealed to the homeowners association, what's the next step? How does the city enforce the homeowners association to address these concerns or is it just 100% the responsibility of the homeowners association? How, what's the next step in that process? The city or local agencies, we don't interfere with the uh, mm. association business generally, but it's an association management decision to share that information with, the, with the, the local government. We're obviously watching any brand new building that's getting built in a city to make sure it's constructed right, but we are not the detectives to go to every association and pull the papers and books out and see what they're doing. We're just not staffed for that purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, so for instance, in the case of uh, this building collapse, uh, the, the Dade County has a certification program for, for that kind of building based on their code. Uh, we don't have that in California. Mm. So here is left to the owners to be cognizant of the conditions of the building. So if something I can deliver in this message to the, to the uh, community as a whole, to the Long Beach community is, uh, be aware the building need maintenance. Uh, maintenance could be structural, could be electrical, mechanical. Uh, but generally, when a building fails, such as it did in this case, it's not one cause. Mm. Normally, the mode of collapse is combined. Lack of maintenance, uh, some liquefaction or some differential settlement of the building, uh, rebar corroding, apparent water leakage, they all contribute. And then the weakest link will 
will fail. Yep. So that's why the determination of the mode of failure or cause of failure is still to be figured out in this case. I'm sure mm-hmm. uh, you hear or everybody here thinks in the news here and there, mm-hmm. but knowing a building that complex, we refer to as a construction over podium, basically the parking structure underneath, the superstructure or high rise residential is above, mm-hmm. all the weight is sitting on some stilts, some concrete columns. Uh, so if those concrete columns or the legs, let's put it, they don't behave, uh, all you need is one or two of them to fail. Unfortunately, uh, emergencies and mode of failures don't call. There's no prior notice. So management has to be very smart on walking these buildings and trying to be proactive. When I know the investigation is going on as to pinpoint, like you said, the combination of things that caused this to happen. When those findings finally come out, do you think it's going to be something that says, hey, okay, now we have to go back and modify, you know, Title 24? Or is it going to be one of those things that you think you'll, you'll probably end up saying if they had done what they were supposed to, this would have been fine and maybe no modification to that title is necessary? Excellent question. The process of code adoption every three years update is exactly what you said. If an earthquake happens in Silmar or earthquake happened in Long Beach in 1930s, they all added it. We each time the code writers, they learn from these phenomena and update the codes. Mm. Not too long ago, we had a collapse of a balcony in Berkeley. That was about two years, three years ago. That already is an or code, new code. Mm. There are requirements for the inspection of the balconies now, which we didn't have it in California prior to Berkeley deck collapse, but now we have. So to answer your question, yes, the are a lot of code writers and a lot of professionals, structural engineer association of Southern California, architectural institution of California, California building officials. There are a lot of organization in California that uh, they take these cases seriously and they implement or they institute code changes. And the cycle, three-year cycle is important because we obviously we can't change code every day. So they give it a grace period of three years. All we learn all, so every three years, code change. We are on the 2019 code right now. And the next version will change in January of 2022. Are there any, I know we have a lot of buildings in Long Beach that are over 40 years old that look amazing. Are there any buildings that are 40 plus years old that have kind of gone to the forefront of your thought process for inspections, upcoming inspections? There's a huge difference between California and Miami when it comes to to the natural disasters and conditions. We don't have the... uh, as bad of a liquefaction situation. We don't have as bad of a hurricane situations. Mm-hmm. We don't have the same climate as Miami. So we have a much more, much drier weather. So when you have a much more, much drier weather, your steel structures, your concrete structures are not as prone as when you're directly imposed or facing water or, or salt water, that kind of thing. Uh, we obviously have some of our own issues in Long Beach, uh, but 
at this time, I don't have any indication. I don't want to take this cursory responding to this question, mm -hmm. but uh, we are watching, we are cognizant. As I said, I had a conversation with my chief inspector last yesterday before or yesterday. Uh, we're going to have more training and conversation with our engineers in the office uh, as we learn more about what happened actually. Uh, my, my supervisors, they have all been talking to me about this topic. So because uh, we want as a city, as a, as a unit of 70 people to be unified with our approach. Well, you started off this conversation with the fact that you take life and safety very dear to your heart. So I, I feel like we're in good hands and I definitely appreciate you taking the time to come out and talk to us today. And it's good to know. I mean, this was definitely a learning experience for me to know how these codes change. And I don't think a lot of our readers for the Long Beach Post or our listeners for this podcast would know that. So you've definitely informed us of a lot and we appreciate you coming on the show today. Is there anything else you wanted to add for us? It was a pleasure joining you. I don't do this very often either, <laughs> but uh, it's uh, as a building official of a city, I am sort of responsible for outreach too. Mm -hmm. And you provided that outreach for us. We appreciate that. Coming up next, we will discuss the aftermath of the shooting near the Pike outlet and get some updated crime statistics. Stay with us. The Word on Long Beach is brought to you by Community Hospital Long Beach. Community Hospital is now open, serving the community since 1924 and singularly focused on providing patients with the very best in healthcare services. Community Hospital, restored, reopened, reimagined. And Cambrian Home Care. Cambrian Home Care has been assisting individuals to stay independent in their homes for 25 years. Flexible experience you can trust when the best place is still at home. To learn more, please visit cambrianhomecare.com. Once again, thanks for joining us here on The Word on Long Beach. I'm your host, Jackie Ray. Now, if you were on social media two weeks ago, you may have seen the panic that ensued after shots rang out at a popular Shoreline Entertainment District. Long Beach police immediately arrested a man and two teenagers on suspicion of attempted murder. Since that time, the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office charged 23-year-old Jonathan Rodriguez Zamora with three counts of willful, deliberate, and premeditated attempted murder. Any proceedings that occur against the two teens are confidential as they are minors. Joining me now is Shantae Jensen. She is the Post's very own award-winning photojournalist, and she went out to get some community feedback. Now, Shantae, how long after the event did you arrive on the scene? I was there uh, less than 24 hours after the, the shooting, mm. and it was a super bright, sunny afternoon. And for arriving, I was like, maybe there won't be that many people out. Nope. There was tons of people out. Uh, I walked up um, where like the row of um, food trucks are mm -hmm. along uh, Shoreline. Tons of people getting food. So I just started going up to people, asking them if they'd seen the shooting. And again and again and again, people were like, no, we have no idea what you're talking about. There was a shooting. And so finally, start, people started telling me, maybe like the 10th person I walked up to, they're like, I'm oh, sorry, we're not from around here. Mm. And so I was like, okay, well, Obviously, there's a lot of tourists around here. So I kept going up to more people. And this time I was asking them, you know, are you a local? And they're like, no, we're not from here. So I moved along. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I spoke with someone that worked there mm -hmm. that 
I got a real taste of the fear and anxiety that was lingering after the event, after the shooting, really. Uh, the first person I talked to, her name was Jennifer Moreno, mm-hmm. and she had been working there while it happened. She was on um, now where the shooting happened was at in front of the Hooters. Mm-hmm. Someone shot across the street where the Nike store is towards the Hooters. And as I'm sure people will find out, there was a bullet that went through. It caused a lot of it caused a lot of panic. And so she said that she had heard like six or seven shots. She, you know, kind of ran and, and went up and saw that one of the men was bleeding out. He's mm-hmm. like trying to walk across the street. And uh, she was really frightened. I saw when the guy was walking, you know, like bleeding out. I was crying, like, you know, it was just so sad. Like, you know, I never in a million years like, would think like, oh, I would be, you know, in the middle of a situation like that. Especially, you know, like seeing like people's faces, you know, crying, like screaming, yelling, like, you know, running, like, I don't know, it was just, it was a lot. She didn't want to come to work the next day, but she had to come to work. Um, And that was kind of what I heard from a few other people, because at that point I just decided to talk to people that had worked there. Mm -hmm. And um, one guy, he described a little bit of hesitancy, but he was more like, you know what, we're not going to let the bad guys get us, you know, I'm just going to come to the work, come to work and do my thing. You never know. There's a lot of people around here, a lot of terrorists, you know, and you never know, you know. Thank God the cops are on every minute here in this area. That's pretty brave. I think I would be reluctant to come in. I would too. (laughs) I really would. Mm -hmm. I know that Jennifer was. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the only other local that I managed to flag down was... um, a guy named uh, Michael. We saw all the police cars and fire trucks coming and knew something happened. He just kind of shrugged it off. To him, it's Long Beach. Mm-hmm. And this thing, these things happen, unfortunately, but he's not going to let it affect his everyday life. So he was back there the next day with his girlfriend. They went hmm. and got food. Yeah. Okay, I guess people are just, in general, more brave than me because I just wouldn't <laughs> want to be. Even if I was a tourist out and about and you mm-hmm. came up to me and said, hey, did you hear about the shooting yesterday? I'd probably have been like, uh, no, but I'm going to go. <laughs> I probably, well, I, that's the thing. Nobody seemed really phased by it. I mean, it's the middle of the day. You feel right. safe. It's a, And that's what's so scary about it, right? It's in a really popular shopping center, big tourist attraction. It's been a big attraction for locals. Mm-hmm. And so for people that have plans to come back there. I can understand there's a lot of fear and anxiety. I, I'm not in any rush to go over there at about dinner time. <laughs> right. And that's the thing. That's the, when I was, obviously I was seeing it come across in Slack and our Twitter and stuff. And I was in Denver at the time when I saw mm-hmm. this. And that, that was the first thing I thought. I was like, oh my God, isn't it dinner time? I can't even mm-hmm. imagine, even if you didn't see it, just mm-hmm. being at dinner with your friend's family and hearing shots ring out. That, again, Shout out to the people for the bravery. That would traumatize me for a little bit. Yep. I would be a little gun shy, literally, yep. to go back there. Yeah. yeah. Someone had mentioned uh, feeling a little bit fearful about fireworks, mm. you know, because, I mean, those are going off here all the time, too. But the sa- the sounds can be so similar. I've gone out to other um, crime scenes before and talked to uh, neighbors, neighbors, and they almost always describe it sounding like it was fireworks. We mm. thought it was fireworks that rang out. 
Yeah. And then, you know, you find out it actually wasn't. And so, but anyways, yeah, I think a lot of, I think at least Jennifer was feeling traumatized. Other people might be a little bit desensitized um, just because shootings do happen pretty often in Long Beach. Mm -hmm. But again, the area and, and what time it was, it was really shocking. You know, I can only imagine, but the silver lining is no one was killed as a result of the shooting. In fact, Long Beach Police Chief Robert Luna said two Long Beach police officers saved a man's life. Officers Daniel Velasquez and Ishmael Martinez, who have been on the force for just about two years, were close enough to the gunfire that they arrived to give medical aid within a minute of one of the victims being shot. Police have been stationing extra officers around the city to fight a spike in gun crime over the past few months. Chief Luna called a press conference last week to address the surge in gun violence here in Long Beach. He says shootings in Long Beach have increased 58.9% during the first half of the year, and the number of people wounded in those shootings also rose to 55%. In an effort to address this spike, Chief Luna says Long Beach is working on a safety recovery plan and have seized almost 200 more firearms to date than they did this time last year. He also said over 50% of the 528 guns officers have confiscated so far this year were found during traffic stops. While those numbers may be startling, they are typical across the state. In California, handgun sales surged just over 65% last year, along with almost 46% in rifle sales, according to the California Department of Justice. These firearms were purchased legally, but this is a great reminder to be aware and be safe. So thank you to both my guests for joining me this week and a reminder to head on over to lbpost.com to keep up on all the latest in news. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Long Beach Post. Thank you all for joining me on another episode of The Word on Long Beach. I'm Jackie Ray, and we'll see you next week. 